Are you working? What kind of work do you do? You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik. Giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. Good evening and welcome into the edge for this Tuesday night. And they say this or tis the season to be jolly. And it's our final show here on the edge for 2020. And I'm jolly about how much we have to get into tonight. Tipping off just minutes away. The Golden State Warriors and the Brooklyn Nets open the 2020-2021 NBA season. At 10 o'clock we have the Lakers and the Clippers. At 8 p.m. the finale of The Bachelorette. Will it be Zach? Will it be Ben? Will it be Ivan? Can't wait to find out. And at 9.30 the U.S. plays Finland on TSN, a pre-tournament exhibition. Two teams who figure prominently in the results of this year's World Junior Tournament in Edmonton Al's brother, a cornucopia of great events tonight. What are you most excited for? Well, I know that I am most excited to watch the NBA tip-off. It's been a... Well, has it actually been that long since we had NBA action? 72 days, man. Real short off-season, but I'm ready to get back into it. Excited for the Raptors tomorrow night. But really, tonight, everything kicking off with the the new-look Nets with KD returning. How is uh, Steve Nash going to look in his first Mm -hmm. game, head coaching debut? I would say that's probably the one I'm looking forward to most. How about you, The Bachelor? Uh, Bachelorette. Um, no, I think it's definitely the NBA. I can't wait to watch the Lakers and the Clippers. And as everybody knows, well, man, everybody, actually, probably not that many people know. I'm on first up every morning and I'm actually off for the rest of the week. So I will be staying up late and taking in Kawhi versus LeBron, a matchup which we'll get into throughout the evening. Tyler Fulgham from ESPN, their sports betting analyst, is going to tee that game up. And we mentioned Brooklyn and the Warriors teeing off just moments away. Let's get into that game a little bit. And the Nets are favored by 7.5 points against a Warriors team that not only does not have Klay Thompson, who's out for the year with an Achilles injury, but will not have Draymond Green in the lineup either. He's got a foot injury. He's going to probably miss the first couple of games of the season. So it's Kevin Durant's debut against his former team in the Warriors, and the man who would be tasked with guarding him normally in Draymond is out. And I see a huge night coming for KD in his Brooklyn debut. You're looking at guys like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre Jr. to be his primary defenders. They were both brutal last year guarding opposing small forwards. Durant's point total tonight is set at 25.5. He scored 25 in his last last exhibition game. I'm foreseeing a big night and a 30-plus point debut for KD and the Nets. And you talked about Steve Nash, Al's brother. It will also be the debut of Steve Nash as a head coach in the NBA, coach in the NBA. He has really been vocal about wanting to play an up-tempo style. We know that Golden State will look to do the same. The total actually opened at 228 points, has been bet up all the way to 234.5. Some of that has to do with Draymond's um, not being a part of the game tonight, but is there a side, a total, a player prop that you're looking for tonight, House Brother, that our audience should be aware of? 
That's an interesting one, the fact that it got bet up. I think I would have been betting that all the way up to maybe 230, 231. The fact that it's reached all the way up to 234, that seems like a little bit too much because I'm not sure that they're going to be able to score and keep up that much over in Golden State. Yeah, Chef Curry's going to go out there. He's going to shoot mm-hmm. the lights out. But outside of him, you know, we don't know if, if anybody's going to really give us that much tonight. They got the rookie in there, James Wiseman. Excited to see what he can do. But again... It's a rookie. He's going to have to feel it out. So I think that that new under looks like a pretty good one to me. And I'm I'm really liking the makeup of, of Brooklyn. I understand that Nash is a rookie coach. I'm understanding there's going to be a little bit of turmoil. Maybe not turmoil, but an adjustment period when you're putting all these talents together, throwing them together in this weird world in which we live. There might be a little bit of an adjustment period, but on paper, I love Brooklyn. 45.5 is their season over-under total for wins. I'm on the over, personally, and a guy you're going to want to look out for is Karis LeVert. He's a holdover from last year on the Brooklyn side. He averaged 19 points a game, and I think you could see him play that Draymond Green kind of role, because if you remember back in the playoffs, when the Raptors played the Nets last year, LeVert was clearly their only quality offensive option. Can't wait to see how that game plays out. And also, we mentioned later this evening, it's the Lakers. They're defending their championship. Just 72 nights ago, they were the champions in the bubble, and now they're playing the Clippers tonight. And last season, they split the four meetings, the Clippers winning the first two while the Lakers winning the final two meetings. The Lakers are favored by three points. And the 72-day turnover and all of the roster changes that the Lakers made. I understand it's more towards the bench and more the periphery of the roster. But do you think there's any value in betting the Clippers plus three here, considering maybe the teams are just very evenly matched and it's going to be a, a, a ball game that goes right down to the final buzzer? Actually, I think that the Lakers are are the better team in L.A. I think in this battle of L.A., it's going to be the Lake Show tonight. I think they they got better. This is a championship team that just flat out got better. They added some really good players. I think Dennis Schroeder is an, is a, definitely an upgrade at the point guard position. And then you think about all the turmoil that was going on in L.A. over the offseason. You know, Ty Lue, it's his first game coaching that team. They may have to get a little bit of a feel for how everything's going to happen, try and feel out the rotation a little bit. I think you also have to keep in mind that there wasn't as many um, preseason games either to kind of build chemistry. So I think both sides have some new pieces to their team. But when you got a guy like LeBron James and Anthony Davis as the heads of the snake, I think that's going to be tough to bring down. So I I actually like the Lakers here at the minus three line. Always disagree with me, Al's brother. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. You know, if you were just to placate me, you'd be like, yeah, man, you're right. Like, definitely Clippers, then this show would not be as entertaining as it is. Let's look back to last night. Enough looking ahead to what's coming up. Let's look back what happened in a game that I still cannot believe transpired the way it did. The Pittsburgh Steelers, 14.5-point favorites, losing outright to Ryan Finley and the Cincinnati Bengals, 27-17. And the subject of the day has been, are the Steelers done? And I think it's a legitimate question, considering what we've seen from this team in the last three games and what we've seen from Ben Roethlisberger in the last month. This is four games in a row where the Steelers have scored 20 points or fewer. We know about the drops. We know about the lack of a running game with James Conner injured. And even when James Conner's been in, the Steelers have not been competent in that aspect. Let me give you the updated odds in the AFC. 
The Chiefs are minus 150 to win the conference. But things get interesting after that. The Bills are playing unbelievable football. They're plus 400. The Ravens plus 650. And they're not even technically in the playoffs as of this very moment. The Steelers now plus 900, followed by the Titans and Colts at plus 1,200, and the Browns at plus 1,400. Do you think that Vegas perhaps might be overreacting to the Steelers' poor play in the last couple of weeks? I actually don't. I, I think that the Steelers just haven't been playing good football. There's something wrong. Like Big Ben mu- must be hurt. The way that he was yeah. playing last night, it just doesn't seem like he's a hundred percent like we saw him earlier in the year. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is the case, but with all these drops, a little bit of undisciplined play, I'm kind of getting a sense that Mike Tomlin, for the first time in, in his career, has lost the room. That's not something that you associate with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mike Tomlin. He's usually been uh, a great man at the ship, but it it just doesn't seem like this team uh, really has much going for them. The past three weeks have been brutal, you know, dating back to that loss against the Washington. Yep. And then they lost to a pretty good Bills team. But then last night, just laying a dud, the way that they came out in the first half, uh, it was just un- unacceptable. And I may be a little biased because I had a five-team parlay with a, oh. a Steelers money line as the only oh, one that I needed. On. I know. So I was pretty upset with their effort last night and they just looked horrible uh so I, I don't i don't think this is a team that could come out and represent the afc well to see the the rams and the steelers go down a 17 and a half point favorite in the rams and a 14 and a half point favorite in the steelers to both lose outright is preposterous and that's probably something we won't see again for a long time and I'm looking at the AFC as a whole, and certainly we'll talk about this with the Big E when he joins us in about 20 minutes. I think you can make the argument that the three best offenses in the NFL are in the AFC, being the Chiefs, the Bills, and as crazy as it sounds, the way the Titans have been playing lately with Derrick Henry, Tannehill's been putting up some big numbers. You can make the argument, and I think Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers would have something to say about it, that the top three offenses rely, reside in the AFC. And I don't see the Steelers being able to keep up with any th- any of those three teams at the moment. And the Colts are a team that, on the right day, perhaps Phillip Rivers can get hot. And we know that defense has been very competent throughout the year. But it seems to me like it's a three three-horse race in the AFC. And I'm not sure... I believe in the Ravens in spite of their strong play. They're playing garbage teams down the stretch, the Giants and the Bengals in their final two games, which they'll win. And you wonder if you might see a Bills-Ravens first-round matchup and what the spread could look like in that hypothetical game. But I think the Titans still have value. We talked about it last week, and I've been a fan of the Titans, what I've seen from Tannehill, definitely what I've seen from Derrick Henry. Plus 1,200, I think there's some value there. But the Bills at plus 400, Al's brother, you look at that. That offense has been incredible. They're finally healthy. Your boy Matt Milano playing terrific linebacker for that squad. As crazy as it sounds, I think you can make a very cogent argument in favor of the Bills being right there with the Kansas City Chiefs in all aspects of the game. Well, guess what, AK? I don't think we're going to disagree here. This is going to be one more on the same page because I think that the Bills are probably the biggest threat to the Chiefs when it comes to repeating as Super Bowl champions, not only in the NFC, but the entire NFL. I think the Bills are right there, and they're going to have to go through them in order to uh, try and get through to the Super Bowl. The Bills, to me, they've really just hit a stride. Josh Allen is is playing the best football of his career. Uh, their defense is finally getting a, getting a 
going after kind of struggling early on in the season, to be honest. And I think it's big because the pass rush is finally getting there. Jerry Hughes had a slow start to the year, and he's really starting to pick it up. They're, they had a bunch of injuries throughout the season. We talked about Matt Milano has was injured for a good portion of those games that they lost. And now they're getting healthy at the right time, and they're rolling. And all you need is to get really a, a good streak, get hot at the right time, and away you go. And I think the Bills are doing that right now. Also getting healthy at the right time, Kevin Durant, who has eight of the first 13 points for the Brooklyn Nets. So if you heeded my advice in the first minute of the show and took the over 25.5 point total, you're feeling pretty good about that so far. Tyler Fulgham, ESPN sports betting analyst. You see him on the Daily Wager. He's going to join us next. We'll talk some NBA, some totals with the Raptors, and we'll also look at the futures market for the Super Bowl, if there's any value out there for you to bet on. I'm Aaron Korolnik. He's Al's brother. We'll be back in just a moment on The Edge. We do have the Raptors and the Pelicans, the season opener for the Raps, tomorrow night right here on TSN 1050, tips just after 7.30. But we have hoops tonight as well. The Brooklyn Nets, the new-look Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant as their focal point, getting off to a red-hot start. Durant, 10 points in four minutes. The Nets with a 10-point lead early against the Golden State Warriors. So let's welcome in our next guest. His name is Tyler Fulgham. He's an ESPN sports betting analyst. You see him on the Daily Daily Wager on ESPN, amongst many other quality programs. What's up, Tyler? How are you? Doing well, Aaron, right now. Just on the couch watching the uh, fast start by KD and the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the Nets early on, and you know, you're not able to bet on their season win total at this point in time because, of course, they're in the midst of, the, of their first regular season game. But were you surprised to see their total listed at just 45.5, considering what we saw from Duran in the preseason? We know Kyrie's there. Steve Nash we know very little about as a coach. But do you think that number was a little bit low, or do you think they, that Vegas nailed it with 45.5 wins? Yeah, I do think that was a, a fair line. I mean, if they're going to clear that, they're going to have a 638 or 640 winning percentage. And that's, of course, not even something they were close to last year. Obviously, a big difference in talent this year. But you wonder, you know, two guys, Kyrie's been fragile in his career. He's not someone who plays 80, you know, it's now 72 games uh, in, a, in an entire season. Um, and KD is coming off a significant injury. I do think it's a fair number to bake in the risk that you assume with if one of these guys go down, that's a big hit. And then the other part of the risk, assuming that the Nets can reach their full potential, is how will they gel? I mean, there's only one basketball. There's a lot of shots to go around. There's egos in that locker room. I think Steve Nash is capable and has the respect of uh, two greats like Kyrie and um, KD because he was a great himself, a two-time league MVP. But there, I think it's a fair number from Vegas, and it was one I kind of just stayed away from uh, based on those factors that were conflicting. The question marks on one side, the immense talent on the other side. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Brooklyn's going to be one of the most fascinating stories to track throughout the NBA, certainly tonight as well, because they're in action right now, um, and uh, we'll be tuning in and updating you on the progress of that game throughout the evening. And later tonight, Tyler, it's the Lakers and the Clippers, and we were talking about how it's just been 72 days since the Lakers won the title in the bubble. The Lakers are favored by three points tonight against the Clippers. Do you factor in that quick turnaround and better still backing the Lake Show in spite of 
the, I mean, think about LeBron and Anthony Davis. It wasn't long ago, just over two months, that they were playing in an NBA Finals game. How do you think that factors into your handicapping of tonight's one? I'm actually going to zig while everyone else is zagging. I think most people around the industry, most people are um, subscribing to the narrative that the 72 days off between the championship and the start of the season is not enough time for them to get their body right. They'll be tired. They'll be resting. And while I think they're going to pick their spots to rest, I actually don't think the the short time off is going to be a detriment. As a matter of fact, I look at it as something that can be a tremendous benefit because – they were the best team in basketball when we stopped playing. They had persevered. They had come together. They had developed this rhythm, this chemistry in that locker room and culture, and time off away from each other and away from the game only, you know, worsens that, lessens that. So the short turnaround time, I think, benefits a team like the Lakers in particular, even though they have someone like LeBron, who appears to be bionic, and Anthony Davis, um, who carry a heavy load, they upgraded the roster significantly. They're a much deeper, better team on paper than they were uh, when they won the championship a season ago. And I actually think they're going to be able to more easily carry over momentum, rhythm, chemistry that they developed last year in winning the championship with this short turnaround. So they, were a, they won at a 73% clip last year, and their season total, just to get over it this year, they'd have to win at like a 68 or 69% clip. So there's some room for error baked into betting the over. And I, I feel really good about it with Lakers because I think they're just better. And, I, and I'm going to use everyone else's belief that they're going to rest a lot and need time to get ramped up against them and, and zig while everyone else is agging. Tyler Fulgham is our guest here on The Edge. He's ESPN Sports betting analyst. And let's talk about the Raps, a team near and dear to our hearts here in Toronto, Tyler. They have gone over their win total, over-under, in nine consecutive seasons, something that no team has come close to accomplishing. And their total is set at 42.5 wins. We know that Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul have moved on in the 72-game season. Are you leaning over or under for the Raps of 42.5 wins? Man, that one's tough. Obviously, I have a lot of respect for the Raptors, what they've done over the last decade. But when I examine the roster, you know, they lost some significant pieces. Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol, most notably from the front court. And those guys um, had varied skill sets on both ends of the floor that helped the Raptors, you know, reach their potential offensively and defensively the last few years. Gasol didn't have the movement skills he once had, but certainly still a very capable passer and a big body that makes it difficult at the rim in close proximity. And Serge Ibaka, a little more dexterity, can can switch a little better on pick and rolls and obviously was becoming a kind of dead-eye three-point shooter in the pick and roll for the um, Raptors. So Kyle Lowry getting a year older. Um, with, I mean, the, the, there will be improvement from youngsters like Boucher, OG Ananobi, most notably. Fred Van Vliet getting him back. I think he might be the best player on the team now. Um, I, I did lean under thinking that those losses would be um, significant enough to dock them. The Nets being better, the, the Heat being better, some other teams in the East being better. I thought when I look at the balance of power, for it to be equitable, a team that may have lost you know, some juice in terms of wins would be the Toronto Raptors. So um, definitely hard to say, given the trend that they've shown us over the last decade of exceeding expectation. But I did, uh, I am feeling most comfortable with the number under with the Toronto Raptors this year. All right, Tyler, let's move to the NFL. And there's no shortage of storylines heading into week 16. But everyone's talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers after their embarrassing performance, losing to the Bengals as 14.5 point favorites last night and that's their third straight loss in a row four straight games of 20 points or less for the Steelers offense 
And the thing that I saw that I was really compelled by was on the look-ahead line prior to last night, the Steelers were favored by two and a half points against the Colts in Week 16. And after their performance, the Colts are now favored by a point and a half in Pittsburgh. Do you think that's an overreaction, or do you think that's warranted? And it's hard. To, naturally, you would say that's an overreaction because the Steelers are an 11-win team, um, and you know they just had some adversity playing three games in 12 days, yada yada yada. But when you watch them, the team does appear broken. They're missing some key pieces defensively. Um, their offense is struggling big time. Ben Roethlisberger and the wide receivers were dropping passes. Then the offensive line was struggling to pass block and run block. Then Roethlisberger was just making bad throws. So. They have, they're a hard team to trust, but naturally when an 11-win team sees a spread, um, goes through that key number of zero, and they go from a favorite to an underdog, generally that's proven to be an overreaction. So even though I have a lot of respect for the Colts, and I think they match up well with the, with the um, Steelers right now with the way the Steelers are playing, if you can't pass the football you know, efficiently, that's not good against the Colts defense. That's very good um, at all three levels. So... Um, I'm gonna say overreaction, but this is kind of the last the last chance for Pittsburgh to prove that this last month of play is an aberration, um, and that they really are the team they showed us the first couple months of the season when they were 11 and 0, and people were wondering if they were gonna go 16 and 0. So going through that key number of zero, I'll gladly take the Steelers as an underdog, but that's not with a lot of confidence because the Colts are certainly playing much better than the Steelers are right now, and I do think the, the Colts have the personnel scheme to match up with uh, Pittsburgh and take advantage of some things they're doing poorly right now. Tyler, sticking with the AFC, a lot of people in Toronto, of course, you know our close proximity to Buffalo here in Toronto. I'm walking around, I'm seeing people in Bills hats, Bills jerseys. It seems the Bills Mafia has really emerged in our city. Do you believe in the Buffalo Bills to be a legitimate threat to the Chiefs? And I'll lay it out. The Chiefs are minus 150 to win the AFC. The Bills are plus 400. I think considering what we've seen from Buffalo in the past six, eight weeks, I'm not sure that there should be a large disparity between these two teams in the betting odds. What do you make of it? I still think um, the Baltimore Ravens are the biggest threat in the AFC to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, They were my preseason pick to win the Super Bowl. They struggled, but uh, I think that win recently, but that win over um, Cleveland, um, I think is kind of going to be a a launching point for the surge down the stretch for the Ravens. They're, They're getting healthier. Lamar, his last few games has looked much better throwing the football after he had a few games that looked bad and other so on and so forth. Um, I'm going to stick with, with the Baltimore Ravens and believe that they are the biggest threat. Now, that being said, no one's playing better as a threat right now in the AFC than the Buffalo Bills. Um, their defense was suspect at the beginning of the year. Sean McDermott is known for his defense, and it seems like they're starting to turn a corner and deliver more consistent efforts on that side of the ball. And obviously what Steph Diggs has done to open up a new ceiling for Josh Allen and the offense is something that makes them dangerous. Um, so th- they definitely deserve the praise they're getting right now from fans, from media, from the betting uh, markets. Um, but I would still have the Ravens as the biggest threat in the AFC to beat the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. However, this is not the NBA, the NHL, or um, you, you know, a, 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 it's not it's not Major League Baseball either, where a seven-game series is determined to decide who's best. On any given Sunday, the Chiefs can still be beat by I think the Browns, the Titans the Ravens, the Steelers, and, of course, the Buffalo Bills. Now, I, of course, would not 
expect that. But again, it only takes one. And if they have a bad game, which is kind of at this point what you're doing with the Chiefs, you're just hoping they have a bad game. Even then, you're still at the mercy of Patrick Mahomes coming back. But that's just how good they are and how much room for error they have to operate with. Um, with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis, Travis Kelsey. So you hope they play a C game, a C-plus game, and you play your A game, and maybe that's enough to, to get the victory. I certainly look at the Bills as one of the teams that can, on any given Sunday, knock them off. But if I had to rank the threats to the Chiefs in order, I'd probably put them second or third um, behind certainly the Ravens. And, again, we'll see if the Steelers bounce back. But, yeah, you, you would have asked us a couple weeks ago who the, the biggest threat to the Chiefs was in the entire NFL, and everyone would have said the Steelers. They were 11-0. So even though they're struggling yeah. right now, I'll still give them a little bit of the doubt there. And we could see a Bills-Ravens. AFC Wild Card Showdown, the two versus seven, which would be an unbelievable matchup. And the stat with the Chiefs that I go back to, Tyler, the Chiefs have won six in a row, but they haven't covered the spread in six straight. They're the first team in, in I think, believe since 1970 to do that. So they're, the Chiefs are winning. They're squeaking by, but they're not winning decisively. And I'm not sure if I would be concerned about that if I was a Chiefs backer, or are they just able to turn it on when the going gets tough in the playoffs? I suppose we will find out, and we will be calling you, my friend, for your insight, and we love having you on as part of our show, and thank you very much for doing this tonight, Tyler. No problem, Aaron. Always a pleasure. All right, that is Tyler Fulgham from ESPN. He is their sports betting analyst. We're going to talk to the biggie, Eric Cohen, with his Week 16 early lines as posted on TSN Edge. We'll get his take on the AFC playoff picture, and we'll look a little bit towards the NFC. What to make of the New Orleans Saints? Drew Brees looking dreadful early on, and yet the Saints only lose by three to Tampa to uh, KC, I should say, in a game that could have gone either way. I'm Aaron Karolnik. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. All right, we're back here on The Edge on this Tuesday evening. I'm Aaron Korolnik, and I consulted with Al's brother during the commercial break. I'm like, we have the hip ready for the big E, right, Al's brother? He looks directly at me through this Zoom, and he says, of course we do. And on that note, we welcome in the big E, Eric Cohen from TSN Edge. Good evening, my friend. What's happening? How are you, Aaron? I'm doing, uh, I guess, a lot better than... And the Rams and the Steelers right now, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think we all are. I know. I heard Al's brother telling you about his five-team parlay that included the Steelers as the final yeah. leg. Lessons learned, Al's brother. Well, there really is no lesson to be learned. I mean, just <laughs> I, I, I still can't believe that both the Jets and the Steelers lost this weekend. And I, I, don't, I don't really know what to make of the Steelers at this point, man. I mean... They look so good, 11-0, and things seem to really be on the up-and-up with Pittsburgh, and then all of a sudden the bottom has just fallen out. They have games against the Colts this week, where they are one-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Then they have the Browns in Week 17. What do you make of the Steelers at this point, Big E, and their standing in the AFC? I think they're in big trouble. I think they're, I mean, you can make the argument that a team that was once 11-0 is now the third-best team in their own division. And it is, it's scary what's happened to them. But the, the warning signs were there. Uh, you know, even the game, probably their, their biggest win of the year was the game they won in Baltimore. And, you know, the only reason they won that game was they created four turnovers, two fumbles by Lamar, two interceptions. Other than that, um, Baltimore outgained them, you know, two to one on the ground, two to one through the air. And Pittsburgh, you know, they came away, they won that game, they were feeling really good about themselves. And then Baltimore in the second meeting has the, the COVID issue where the game gets postponed three times. 
and Pittsburgh has to go out and play a B squad, a team missing two of their running backs, missing Lamar, RG3 gets hurt, and somehow Baltimore is still in that game at the end. And, you know, Pittsburgh wins, and you can just tell after that game. Now, that was the game that put them at 11-0. Mike Tomlin lost his mind. He was so angry with how poorly his team played. And, look, it's now all of a sudden since that game they've lost three in a row. You know, they blow a double-digit lead to the football team. They... Uh, blow a first half lead to Buffalo, and then they were just they hit rock bottom yesterday. And uh, the issues the Steelers have is a lot of them. First of all, there are some injuries, obviously, with Bush and Dupree, two key losses uh, on their defense. You know, James Conner not being there, they haven't been able to run the ball. Uh, they're not blocking very well. They're not protecting Ben very well, and Ben hasn't played very well. He's, he's obviously he's having trouble throwing downfield right now. Uh, that offense is all. Uh, you know, getting rid of the ball within half a second of Ben having it in his hands and, you know, trying to have, you know, Johnson or Claypool make a play. But, of course, you know, Johnson was struggling with all the drops going into uh, yesterday's game, seemed to figure that out. But, uh, man, oh, man, you just watched them, and, you know, their defense didn't look the same. The fact that the Bengals and, and Ryan Finley put up 24 points against them, that is very worrisome. And the fact that Pittsburgh's offense did absolutely nothing in the first half, turned the ball over three times, and, couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball, couldn't do anything. Right now, um, there's a good chance Indianapolis wins that game. And if they do, you got to expect that the Browns beat the Jets. And Week 17, who would have thought a game in Cleveland would be for the division between the Steelers and the Browns? I mean, uh, that's, that's crazy. That is, that is nuts to think that that is a possibility. But it's a very good possibility the way Pittsburgh's playing right now. Biggie, have you heard the saying, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful? And if you have not, it is a quote from Warren Buffett, of course, the legend from Berkshire Hathaway, one of the best investors, perhaps the best investor in the history of our planet. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Everybody is writing them off. Roethlisberger should retire. They should start Mason Rudolph in Week 16. Now, here's what I think is going to happen. And Al's brother, I know you're a Colts fan, so cover your ears. I think the Steelers are going to come out and have a very impressive performance at home in Week 16. I think think they gave James Conner that game off in Week 15 for a reason. It's to get healthy for the game in Week 16. The line shifted massively after what happened last night against the Bengals. It went from the Steelers as 2.5-point favorites to the Colts as 1.5-point favorites. That is a shift that is far too significant for one game for and I understand the Bengals are awful it's a, it's a complete joke that Pittsburgh lost that game but it just seems like like too big of an overreaction for me biggie but you know what the exact same thing happened when Pittsburgh lost to Washington remember they were a two and a half point favorite against Buffalo the week after and ended up being the Bills minus two and a half that line flip flopped five points the exact same thing we've seen in this game because people are just jumping off and you know in that Bills game Buffalo did, still did cover Laying the two and a half. I, you know, listen, I agree. I, I've watched the NFL for decades, as I'm sure you have as well. You know that you can't read too much into one game. Uh, but, man, oh, man, something does seem to be really wrong with Pittsburgh. And it's not just that Roethlisberger looks old. I mean, you know, they lost Eric Ebron in that game. Uh, they, you know, why Claypool has not been able to make big plays for them in, in about a month. Uh, they don't have any playmakers. Juju has struggled all year. Like, wh- where are the big plays coming from from this offense right now? Uh, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I to me, I, I feel like I won't be surprised at all if Pittsburgh wins this game. I'm not, I'm not rushing to bet the Colts because you are right. Things can change drastically in the NFL, and the Steelers are still a talented football team. And, you know, you wouldn't expect that they'd ever be a home dog in the game when they started 11-0. and But here we are. Uh, they got they got to show me first that they are a lot better than what they showed Monday night because last night was an embarrassment. I... You know, Mike Tomlin has just been so pissy the last month in his post-game press conferences because he's seen this all unfold, and he doesn't have an answer. He doesn't know how to fix it. Uh, you know, you, you, Ben said a week ago, we got three weeks to fix it. Well, now you got two weeks to fix it before the playoffs. Something is really wrong there, and it they're just – it's a system they've all got their arms up looking for answers, and no one can figure out how to fix it. Eric Cohen from TSN Edge is our guest here on The Edge. And, Biggie, I know you're a card-carrying member of Bill's Mafia. I'm sure every table in your house has been jumped through at this point. And I'm looking at the spread on Monday night, and I am confused. The Bills are just seven-point favorites at New England, a team that has a quarterback with a noodle arm, and that's being complimentary of Cam Newton. And we actually might have see, we might see Jarrett Stidham at quarterback. We have not uh, heard a definitive answer from Belichick on that. We know Stephon Gilmore is out for the Pats as well. It seems like New England is packing it in while the Bills are on the ascent. Is this a classic trap game where Buffalo doesn't show up on a primetime Monday nighter and the Patriots keep it close and cover the number, or do you think the Bills lay the smack down on Belichick? Well, you know what? People were talking about last week being a trap game. I heard you guys talk about it last week. Was it going to be a trap game going to Denver after the Bills had that huge win on Sunday night against Pittsburgh? And they came out guns a-blazing and, and laid a beat down on the Broncos. Now, I, I think the Bills have a lot to play for still. Uh, you know, that two-seed now, they have the two-seed. And if they, if they win this week and if the Steelers lose, the Bills clinch the two-seed. They will be able to rest everybody week 17 because uh, that game won't mean anything, right? The Chiefs are in position to clinch the one. The Bills clinch the two if they beat New England and Pittsburgh loses to Indianapolis. So I think there's a lot of motivation for Buffalo to want to win this game, to obviously show, obviously, the Patriots, hey, you know what, for two decades you beat us down, this is our year. I mean, they pretty much have already done that. But the one time they faced New England at home, they did not win that game decisively at all. They needed a Cam Newton fumble on that final drive to win that game by three. So Buffalo's a better team since then. You can make the argument New England has certainly regressed and has packed it in. I'm not in a hurry to lay seven points on the road, though, with the Bills in this spot. I mean, the Patriots are a touchdown home dog for the first time in a divisional game since 2001. The last time that was the case, they, they was against the Colts, when the Colts were in the AFC East, so it wasn't even against the team that was in the division right now. But, <laughs> listen, the Bills are the Bills are in a good place. Uh, I think the Bills win. I think the line's right about right, though, because I, I don't think Bill Belichick's going to allow his team to go out there and get embarrassed. They really haven't been embarrassed in, in any game other than maybe the Rams game. I mean, they, they, they were up again at the half against the Dolphins on Sunday. They have, you know, they've been in most of their games. So I, I don't think that you can expect the Bills to blow them up, but certainly there's enough motivation for Buffalo to want to win uh, and really give the, the team a week off because, it, you know, it sucks for Buffalo. This is the first year the 2C doesn't get that week off, right? Normally, until this year, you'd have that wild card week off. It would be great. You could, you know, 
have home field until you go to KC for the AFC Championship game, but now you have to play wild card round. So I'm sure the Bills would love to have Week 17 off to prep for uh, the wild card game. It's Miami and the Bills in Week 17, a game yep. that will almost certainly have implications for Miami. But in Week 16, Miami's at the Raiders, and the Raiders have been the worst team in the NFL over the past month. They lost by 37 to Atlanta. They beat the Jets, and I'm using air quotes, when Greg Williams threw the game on the last play. Cover zero. And cover zero. A 17-point loss to the Colts, and we saw them lose on Thursday night to the Chargers. The Raiders are just two-and-a-half-point dogs hosting Miami. I see. I feel like that number should be over three, like even three and a half, four. Miami is a playoff team in the AFC, and they're not a prolific scoring offense, but they're much better than the Raiders. What do you make of that line? I think if the Dolphins were healthy offensively, it'd be a lot higher, but obviously without Gusecki and Parker, the two guys they played without uh, against the Patriots, that, that's big for them, right? Those two guys were out, and Miami was a home underdog against New England, and I thought... That makes no sense. I understand that, you know, Tua didn't have a lot of weapons in that game, so they ran the ball for a couple hundred yards, right? Miami, uh, Miami is, a, they're the best ATS team in the league. They're 11 and 3 against the spread because nobody believes in them. And they make the quarterback change. I don't think anybody believes that Tua is anywhere close to where Justin Herbert is right now. So you look at the Dolphins offensively, and you don't see much, especially when Parker and Gasicki are out, but. They find a way to win. Their defense is lights out. They they have a really good football team. I like Miami a lot in this spot. Uh, we've now seen some tape on Marcus Mariota. He played really well against the Chargers, but at least the Dolphins are preparing for him, preparing for a quarterback who's very mobile and going to do some things that Derek Carr wouldn't have done. So, I, yeah, I like Miami a lot. I think I, I've been riding Miami a lot this year, and they've, they've done me a lot of good when you have an 11-3 and ATS record. They uh, they're gonna they're gonna put cash in your pockets because they're covering most weeks for you. So I do like the Dolphins in, in that that week seventeen game is so interesting because if the Bills beat New England and if Pittsburgh loses, as I said, Buffalo clinches the two seed. So they will probably rest people against the Dolphins. The Dolphins are going to need to win that game because you got to figure the Ravens are going to win their final two games. They're against you know the Giants. Uh, in another easy game. So, yeah, the Bengals, the, the Bengals, Bengals well. Yeah, I knew it was an easy game. So, yeah, so you look at it, you're going to have a very good team missing the playoffs in the AFC because, because right now Baltimore's not in. Baltimore's going to win those two games. So if anyone slips up, Baltimore gets in. So if I'm Buffalo, I would sit guys week 17. You don't really want to beat Miami. You'd rather Miami get in as a seven seed then Baltimore get him because then you would get the Dolphins a week after in the playoffs in that two versus seven. And you know, let's let's as as, as much as I just pumped up Miami there, they're not as good as Baltimore. They're not even close. No way. So, right? So I mean a lot of power rankings have the Ravens as like the fifth or sixth best team in football. And they're not even in the playoffs. So and, and there's fourteen playoff teams. You've expanded the playoffs when the Ravens aren't in it right now. It's really nuts what's going on at the bottom of that AFC but if the Ravens get in and they get into that seventh seed, that you know that is a dangerous, dangerous game. That's not a game I want for the Buffalo Bills at all. I mean, you get a two seed and your reward is the Baltimore Ravens in the wild card round. That doesn't seem right. Uh, I mean, Baltimore won in Buffalo last year, and Baltimore going into this year was projected to win as many games as the Chiefs were. So, you know, the, the Ravens are, have found their their stride again. They're healthy again. 
that's a dangerous football team if they get into the playoffs. So if I'm the Bills, I I do anything to keep them out. All right, Biggie, I'm going to need to get your assistance on my survivor pool pick for week 16 as we do not have a show on Friday night. Here are my three options. There's 30, team le- 30 teams left in my survivor pool. I think I would win like 35 grand if I took wow. this whole thing down. So guaranteed beer on me whenever we rendezvous in the future. Could be 2022 to 2023, who knows. <laughs> but am I taking the Browns at the Jets, the Bears at the Jaguars, or the Texans Hosting the Bengals. The Texans are nine-point favorites against the Bengals somehow. Which of those three teams would you side with in Week 16? I generally never take road teams. But of those three options, to me, the best option is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, The only thing you worry about is that they look ahead to Week 17 against Pittsburgh. But the Week 17 game against Pittsburgh only means the world to them if they beat the Jets. The Jets got their one win. I don't see lightning striking twice. Cleveland proved to me Sunday night in that same stadium they're going to be playing again this week that, you know, when they're playing an inferior opponent, they will they will not look past them and they will get the job done. Baker's playing really well. We know they run the ball really well with Chubb and Hunt. Um, Landry's done a nice job. I love, I love what Peoples-Jones has done since the OBJ injury, giving them a, another option at, at wide receiver. I like Cleveland. I, I think that there's, you know, you never want to say no way, especially after watching what the Bengals and the Jets did this week. But uh, Cleveland's the safest bet. I, I can't – Houston, man, I mean, what a disappointment they've been. And I understand the Bengals – you know, can't possibly play the way they played against Pittsburgh this week. They they had their Super Bowl on Monday night. But to me, the best option is Cleveland. And I believe in the Browns right now. So I, I believe in the Browns more than certainly I believe in the Texans yeah. and more than I believe in the Bears, even though the Bears have had a couple really good weeks in a row. Biggie, I am with you. I'm locking in the Browns. I guess we'll see what happens with Jacksonville if they decide to sit out James Robinson and others with injuries and go full tank for Trevor, which would I probably... Would they, would, they, would they not play Robinson? He's, he's, the kid's going to be the, he's up for the rookie of the year. He's been yeah, the he's day. not going to win rookie of the year. Herbert no, or Justin Jefferson. Justin but, Herbert, I mean, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can see them sitting Robinson this week. That would be a smart move for them because really... You gotta lock in Trevor Lawrence, and there's no no ifs, ands, or buts. If you have your opportunity to do that, and James Robinson's the only guy who can generate any type of offense on that squad, yeah. so take take a seat, James, and let's let uh, Trevor Lawrence make his way to Jacksonville. Big E, we thank you for your contributions to the show in 2020. You've been a very valuable contributor, and we appreciate the time. Happy holidays to your family. We will speak to you in the new year. You got it. Thanks, Aaron. All the best, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, my man. That is the Big E, Eric Cohen from TSN Edge. Al's brother and I give you our best world junior bets next on The Edge. Oh, yeah, one of my favorite songs on the planet. I don't know who conducts this track, but it is the World Junior theme. Of course, TSN, your home for all the World Juniors. There's actually a game going on right now. There's a game between Finland and the U.S. going on a little bit later at 9.30. And Ferraro and Gordon Miller calling that. I saw Laura Dykins down there. The whole TSN crew is in Edmonton for that. And you know we're going to throw down some wagers on the World Juniors. So let's start with 
the value picks. And, of course, Canada is the favorite to win the World Junior Hockey Championship, as they've probably been for the last 25 years. Al's brother, when you're looking at the board, who or which team, I should say, is your pick for perhaps an upset, some value a little bit lower down the board? If I'm taking a value pick, I'm thinking the Finns. Uh, every year it just seems like this is a team that gets slept on and they are never thought to be someone who's going to be in the medal rounds. And lo and behold, they end up in the medal rounds, fighting for either the gold or the bronze. And I think that this year they'll do uh, pretty much the same as they usually do. So I think Finland is a pretty good bet uh, as a dark horse team here in the tournament. I like Finland, too. You can get Finland at plus 900 to win the tournament. I think you need to look at the U.S., and I know Nick Robertson won't be in the lineup, nor will Borlo and Beecher, and those are two quality, or three quality players that the U.S. will be missing. But, come on, they are absolutely stacked. That top line of Kaliev, Turcotte, and Zegras, Cole Caulfield, firing and sniping on all cylinders. And if you can find the U.S. at plus 450, I would probably advise a sprinkle i think sweden as well and i know they've been tied up with coronavirus protocols and quarantine but you get sweden at plus 800 and they have they probably have the best defense core in the entire tournament two quality goaltenders and some top talent up front you can find sweden at plus eight at plus 800 plus 850 let's talk about top canadian point score no no surprise kirby doc who's probably the best player in the tournament is the favorite at plus 250 to lead Canada in points. Is he your pick, or is there someone down the board that you find more value for? I think it makes sense that he's the pick because I, I personally think that Kirby Doc is going to do it. But if there's somebody who can maybe sneak ahead and end up uh, becoming the number one point getter, it's probably his line mate, Dylan Cousins, because he's going to be piggybacking Kirby Doc. And maybe he ends up with a secondary assist here and there that Doc wasn't able to get a piece of. And Dylan Cousins could be a good op- option there. Connor McMichael, you can get him at plus 650 also. Uh, I think that he's somebody who's going to be an outstanding player for the Canadians at the World Tournament. So I'd say, one of those three players should finish uh, at the top of the, the the leaderboard for Canadian point getters. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing Quinton Byfield at plus 600 to lead Canada in points. He's not going to lead Canada in points. He's in the fourth line, and he's still the youngest player on the roster, which is pretty remarkable considering he was on the team last year. I'm looking at Jack Quinn, who you talked about piggybacking off Doc. He is on the first line with Doc and Dylan Cousins playing the left side. Also, Cole Perfetti is a guy who has a prolific scoring touch. You can find him at plus 2,000. And Newhook and Krebs on the second line for Canada could be solid options as well. So we can't wait for the World Juniors. All holiday long, as brother, we won't be doing this show. We will be back on January 4th, so a little bit of hiatus for yourself and myself. And we'll be using that time to watch sports and provide insights on the gambling world for you more so on Twitter than anywhere else. It's been a pleasure bringing you this show in 2020. Thank you for welcoming us into your cars, your homes, your podcast streams, wherever they may be. I'm Aaron Karolnik. He is Al's brother. Have a happy holiday, a safe holiday, and we'll speak to you in 2021.